off again But it's the only way you're ever gonna learn your luck back and it's all in the past Good afternoon and welcome, well, see, good afternoon, good morning, welcome to NUFC Matters with me, Steve Rafe. I'm joined by Mick Lowe's uh, for an hour of uh, Newcastle United chat and uh, your opportunity to ask Mick a few questions. Uh, how are you doing, mate? You okay? Yeah, good morning. Uh, happy Mother's Day to any mothers watching, listening, whatever. Best people yes. in the world, your mother. Never, that- ever stop loving your mother. That's my message today. Good stuff. Well, that's why we're early because obviously we're yeah. both uh, going to see our mums luckily today. So, luckily, um, yeah, look- exactly. Anybody's not seeing their mother, my heart goes out to you. Yes, fingers uh, fingers crossed that um, you know we can get back to some kind of normality soon. Uh, the match, um, as most people know, I had a, I had a night off. Uh, didn't bother watching it because I'd been to a funeral on the day. I'd done the two hours three amigos show. Just you know, it, things hit you in different ways when um, you know when when you're during a pandemic. And I just I just couldn't sit through two hours of you know commentating and talking through that game. I had to have a little bit of space, and I'm glad I did uh, because it wasn't an eventful game. I know you managed. To, to see the extended highlights of it Mick what was your take on that result on uh, uh, you know at the weekend well I have to say with hindsight you made the right decision mate because um, it was same old same old uh, you know you could have probably put a video in from half a dozen goalless draws or one all draws that there's been over the past six or eight months same problems uh, I mean obviously accentuated by the loss of, of St Maximin uh, Almiron and of course Callum Wilson you know, they are completely and utterly bereft up front now. Uh, there is no cutting edge. There's no one there who's likely to score the goals. I must admit beforehand, because of our record against Villa um, and probably because of a, a personal interest to beat Villa, maybe I was a little bit um, uh, starry-eyed. But I, I honestly thought we might just do enough to win it. And to be fair, they, they were the better side, which wasn't saying an awful lot considering the way Villa played for a lot of the game. But just can't put the ball in the back of the net and again are indebted to a header from the cells which are a bit like the one against Wolverhampton Wanderers is a header that our mate Joel Linton should be making every day as a centre forward I mean it's a great header um, and as much as I, I've said in the past that I do think Lascelles flatters to deceive a little bit as a, as a defender he's a good leader and I'm telling you if they stay up this season Jamal Lascelles and those two goals may well go down in folklore. I know people didn't like what I said about the West Brom point could be a good point because everybody wanted us to go to West Brom and win a game. Um, Everybody wanted us to beat Aston Villa, but we couldn't beat Aston Villa. We're not in a position to dictate whether we can beat people or not beat people. At this stage of the season, when you're in the rut that we're in and other clubs are in, there's no such thing, no such thing as a winnable game. There's no such thing as a predictable game. We went to Everton and won, Steve. Everton must be on some sort of charity mission. They then get beat at home off Fulham. They then get beat off home yesterday off Burnley. I mean, you know, Everton must be handing out gifts to those at the bottom. So that's put into perspective the win at Goodison. Um, but no, you didn't miss an awful lot. You um, you probably made a, a wise decision. I'm, I'm sure had they won, you'd have hated yourself. But no, they were never going to score all day, really, other than LaSalle's very, very good header very, very late on. 
Yeah, I mean, I did catch it on Match of the Day and listen to Big Al's uh, summary. And um, yeah, I, by the sounds of it, I didn't miss a great deal. I did did um, raise an eyebrow at Jermaine Jennis uh, saying that it was probably Joe Linton's best match. Do you think that? I think when Joe Linton tries, when he looks like he's bothered, he's a big unit. I mean, uh, you know, I remember watching the West Bromwich Albion game. What was that two weeks ago? And you'll have seen it, you know, first five, ten minutes. He bursts past a defender. He gives the defender the, the shoulder. He, he shows pace. He shows strength. And then he gets there and he turns into uh, a, a pile of jelly. You know, he, he just he just didn't know whether to twist or stick. He ends up squaring it. But, you know, there's... there's I, I was going to say there's a player in there. But what I would say probably is that there's, a, there's a, an athlete in there. There's an individual in there who is strong, who is quick who looks the part, he looks like your modern-day footballer. Um, but as I've said before, the modern-day footballer isn't always blessed with the greatest footballing brain. Um, and he did a lot of that again on Friday. Um, you know, he got into good positions. He showed his strength. Um, he gave Mings a, a really, really hard time. But Tyrone Mings will be saying to myself, OK, I've had, a right, I've had a real tough night. But every time this kid goes past me or every time this kid turns me or he does this, that and the other, I'm as safe as houses because he's not going to do anything. He's, he's, he's not going to score. He's not going to square it. He's not going to he's not going to assist uh, uh, somebody else. So, yeah, OK, it was it was it was a better performance by Joe Linton. But without once again sounding like a scratch record, you don't pay 40 million for somebody to run around. You don't pay forty million pounds for somebody to show a bit of willing. That's the very least you should see. Yeah, uh, Fulham getting beat, of course, by Man City uh, yeah. was 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 good for us, Mick. I mean, uh, again, we'll rely on other results. We're hoping, you know, Brighton don't manage to get anything today. And and, it, and and then I suppose you know the point doesn't look like you know too bad a point at the weekend. Again, without running the risk of of the Twitter arty giving me stick. And I hate to say it because I don't want to say it and I don't think um, uh, it's, it's a particularly clever thing to say. But at this stage of the season, Steve, believe me, if you pick up a point, a point is better than nothing because there's every chance you'll get absolutely nothing. So, you know, with 10 games left, if they get 10 points, you know, they finish on 30, high 30s, maybe that's enough. Now, you don't want to think that way. You want to win the odd game. But that's all you ever do at this stage of the season, believe it or not. You only win the odd game. I think Alan won one of eight. Rafa won, Rafa won three of ten and, and got relegated by more points than, than Alan did, if we're talking about scenarios where they change it late on. But I think the problem is, you know, regardless of whether a point's a good result here and a point is a good result there, I think the ship sailed, Steve. You, you know, you asked me nine games ago, nearly two months ago now, what would I do? And I said, just for the sake, because I respect Steve Bruce. I like him as a human being. I told the story about Old Trafford. But I said, for the good of Newcastle United and for the sake of Newcastle United Football Club, they need to make a change and give somebody the chance to stamp their mark on the club and turn the results around because it is a results business. Nine games on, absolutely nothing's changed. And in fact, the situation's worsened because you've lost your three best striking players, particularly Wilson, which was an absolute body blow. So, you know, nine games on, 
we're no better off. We are, as I mentioned on, on Friday night on social media, I think my phrase was, we're swimming in quicksand. That's what it feels like. And it's what it felt like in 09 and what it felt like in 2016, Steve. It feels like you're just swimming and swimming and, and you're getting nowhere and you're sinking and ultimately you get relegated. Jacob Murphy, um, you know, Newcastle fan. I know, I know that doesn't really count for much in, in, as far as your football ability counts. But I mean, yeah. he's gonna he's gonna bust a gut, Mick, isn't he? And um, that showed when he came on. Yes, uh, you know, in the game, he came on. He, you know, he hit the bar. Um, he was involved in a lot of creativity, and eventually, it led to the goal. I think we made the point, didn't we? I think somebody either phoned in or texted in or emailed in about is it chance to give is it is it the time to give young players a chance. Now, obviously, he doesn't fall into that category as a young player. But I think in a roundabout way, what you're saying, if we if we take on board, is he a Newcastle fan? Isn't he a Newcastle fan? I've, I've never really liked that analogy. Mm-hmm. But he does. But he looks hungry. That That's what I was going to say. He looks yeah. hungry. You know, he's, he's putting crosses into the box. If he doesn't put that cross into the box for Jamal Lascelles, then Newcastle lose that game 1-0. You know, and he came on and he made a difference. You know, he genuinely, genuinely made a difference. Now, in defence of Steve Bruce, it's easy. It's easy for people to come off the off the bench because as much as anything, they want to prove a point. You know, you know, we've all been left out of football teams and you think, God, give me a chance. Give me a chance. I'm going to get on and show this guy he was completely wrong to leave me out. You know, and, and the formation that Steve Bruce played with Gale and, and Joe Linton wide, you know, there was every reason why Murphy would be sitting on that bench thinking, I should be on there. I can do more. I can help this team more than the players that are out there. Uh, and as it is, he did. The problem, Steve, is that what happens then is, and it uh, managers uh, a million times over and all the world over, have then picked that same player to start the next game and he's been rubbish and he's been useless. And, and, and he, you know, he hasn't made the impact that he made before. So it's it's really really difficult um, to sort of base uh, an assessment of, of of Murphy on the fact that he's he's crossed the ball for the cells and there's been an equaliser in the game. I couldn't believe it was his fiftieth appearance in a black and white shirt. I mean, it shows you how anonymous he's been. How many of those are subs, though, Steve? Uh, I mean, yeah. Is that fifty starts? I would doubt it. 50, 50 appearances. I mean, it's um, yeah, a lot of them from the bench. But I mean, yeah. fairly not fairly anonymous. Um, yeah. But look, you know, he, he you know he did his bit, and um, you know, I, I would say there's a lot to be said about you know those players coming in who know what it takes. Andy Carroll again. You know, I yeah. I said this from the start when he came back. He was a, a showcase yeah. signing, and um, you know, wasn't it wasn't it, it was just yeah. a PR stunt. But ultimately, you know, he did his bit when he came on again, and and, and you know won won the ball, which which eventually led to Murphy getting it and crossing it in you know so he, he did his bit and he threw his threw himself into the challenge which maybe yeah. other players wouldn't have done you know I, I remember for years and years commentating um, a, a favourite phrase and it's not just a favourite phrase of commentators it's a, it's a favourite phrase of, uh, of of all manner of people not least of all football fans uh, and once upon a time it was it was genuinely applicable I'm not too sure these days because of these fanciful systems and false nines and this, that and the other. But square pegs in round holes, once upon a time, was a mantra in football. You know, you put a square peg in a round hole. So on Friday night to me, they put a square peg, Dwight Gale, in a round hole. Andy Carroll 
is a round peg in what is a round hole. But there was a square peg in that round hole called, um, called, uh, remind me, remind me, the lad from Bournemouth. Uh, Fraser. Fraser. So Ryan Fraser is, is, the, is the square peg in the round hole, trying to play through the middle with Gale to the, to the left and Joel Linton to the right. Why not play Jacob Murphy in a, in a regular position wide on the left and play Andy Carroll through the middle? Andy Carroll might not give you 90. Andy Carroll might not be and isn't the play he once was. But Andy Carroll, as a footballer, is a centre-forward. He knows how to play the position. Dwight Gale clearly doesn't know how to play that position. And that's no criticism whatsoever of Dwight Gale. It happened at Chelsea. It happened on Friday night. Ryan Fraser, in the meantime, is like, is the little Dutch boy with his finger in the dike. He's, he's trying to work out what's happening. And on the right-hand side, you've got Joel Linton doing a, a passable impression of somebody who runs around a bit. But every time he got in a position of some promise, he didn't know what to do. Now, I would rather play lesser players in their proper position than better players out of position. Uh, it happens all the time. And I'll go back to something I say many, many times. It's a very simple game, Steve. It's a very simple game. I don't know where, I don't know where and why people suddenly decided they wanted to play with it. The great Liverpool sides, the great Manchester United sides, the, the, you know, the great Arsenal sides in recent decades, 4-4-2, 4-4-3. You know, I don't want to sound like, you know, Charlie Buchan's Football Monthly or Brian Glanville writing in the Sunday Times in 1975. But honestly, just go with what you've got. Go with what players know and what players are used to playing. You know, going with 4-3-3, at the back. Three at the back, you know, works with wing-backs. But when you start playing with players in the wrong position, I saw an interview, just a quick final one on this. On Friday night, after I'd watched the um, Newcastle game, I turned on Sky wanting to see Steve Bruce's uh, post-match interview. And I caught Ancelotti talking about Everton's game against Burnley on Saturday. And Ancelotti was talking about Iwobi. And he said, I keep saying to him, tell me where you want to play. Tell me where you want to play. And then he, it cut to him and he said, I've always been a great believer. Always try and play players where they're happiest. Always play. This is one of the greatest coaches in the world. And it's not genius, is it? Play a player where he wants to play. Play a player where he's most effective. Play a player where he's happiest. And the previous night, or sorry, that night, we're playing players all over the place. Yeah. Yeah, it's a fact. It's a fact, Mick. And um, yeah, it's something which doesn't go unnoticed by a lot of the fan base. As you say, you're you're yeah. pretty uh, you're pretty clued up with social media. You're on Twitter, and you see people scratching their heads and, and playing yeah. Ryan Fraser there. Crazy, crazy. Let's get to the questions. Plenty yeah. coming in. Mick Mark Beatty says, um, Mick, why do you think Bruce is given such an easy ride by the media? He hasn't banked multiple trophies or long-term success to fall back on, and his record as a manager is average to say the least. Um. I'm not sure he's given an easy ride, Steve, by the media. Um, I mean, you know, there's there's one notable journalist who he's permanently at loggerheads with. Um, uh, there are others who, who, who criticise him. Uh, I mean, you, I suppose you'd call me an ex-journalist. I mean, I said nine games ago he should he, he should probably go, but I respect him as a as a person. And I think, to be fair, he's earned the right to be respected. Uh, he's played an awful lot of football over the years. I know. 
and 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 that and football is littered. I, I, you know, I work with the great Bobby Moore. Couldn't manage a team to save his life, and he was one of the greatest players God's ever seen. Uh, Bobby Charlton tried management, couldn't do it. So being a great player doesn't guarantee you being a great manager, and I think even less so in the current climate. And I think, as I think I've mentioned before, I think that's where Steve Bruce falls down. I think the modern coach, the modern manager, has to be part psychologist, part psychoanalyst, part agent, part this, part that. Steve Bruce is an old-fashioned football fella um, who maybe has a different doctrine and a different mantra on football um, than his players who are you know, 20 years younger. You know, they're a different generation. So I don't think he gets, a, I don't think he gets a, a, an easy ride. Um, and there's been plenty of people calling for his head. Um, I think the problem is, Steve, that the owner, who is the biggest problem of all, as we all know, never wants to broach the issue of the manager. Uh, and I think it essentially comes down to the fact that he doesn't care. He's not bothered. Uh, he, he lives in London or abroad, or he, he probably doesn't know half the time what Newcastle are doing. Probably doesn't even know their result this weekend. Um, and I'll tell you a story uh, without wanting to sort of, you know, draw this out and sound like I'm um, going on and on and on. I was thinking to myself the other day, the two times he's changed it, and with, we're almost on the anniversary of him bringing in uh, Rafa, I think it was two days ago, yeah. five years five years ago, that he brought Rafa in to, uh, to replace Steve McLaren. Alan was slightly later in, in, I think, the start of April, April the 1st, something like that. Alan had eight, uh, Rafa had ten. But in neither, on neither occasion, Steve, do I believe, do I believe Mike Ashley had any idea what he was doing. I don't think he has any idea about running a football club full stop. So, in the case of Rafa Benitez, who replaced Steve McLaren, whose record wasn't hugely bad, hugely bad, prior to him being replaced by Rafa, I think Rafa just became available. I think Rafa made it known that he wanted to come to Newcastle. I think his, his people made it known that he would be open to coming to Newcastle. And it was just too big an opportunity. I mean, you couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. No one could believe it. We got Rafa Benitez. You know, we were a struggling, struggling Premier League club. And suddenly, one of the best club managers in Europe, if not the world, wanted to come to St. James's. It was a no-brainer. He was handed it on a plate. I'll tell you a story about 2009. I'm not too sure whether I've told this story too many times or whether it's common knowledge. 2009, Derek Lambias came to me and a couple of other people and said, how on earth do we stay in the Premier League? I said, and a couple of other people said, you need to get Alan Shearer, the only person who can revive the club, who can uh, appease the fans, who can rejuvenate the club, is Alan Shearer. Derek Lambias, myself, one of the journalists who I won't name, and the club press officer at the time, met on the quayside one Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, whatever it was. Derek Lambias said, what do we do? We said, you get Shearer. How do we get Shearer? I said, I will be the go-between. I will ring Alan and tell him, and ask him, is he open to a conversation with Mike Ashley and yourself about being the manager of Newcastle United? They said, if you can make the call, if you can get as close to him, if you think he'll be amenable. I'd already spoken to Alan and said, would you? He'd said yes. So we left that night. I phoned Alan Shearer and said, look, they want you. He said, give them my number. Two days later, they'd spoken. Alan Shearer was the manager. 
But famously, I remember, as the guy who never, ever had an interview with Mike Ashley, right? He's coming up through the steps, having been in the dressing room, first game, Alan in charge. I think it was either, I think it was Chelsea at home. Lambayas is walking up through the stand with Ashley. I thought, look, I've been a go-between. I've done him a bit of a favour. I'm giving Lambayas the eye, saying, get me him. To be fair to Lambayas, he says to Mike Ashley, Mike, this is Mick Lowe's. Uh, he was the one who contacted Alan. He's been very helpful, very helpful in um, in getting Alan in as, as manager. And I said to Ashley, can you spare me two minutes just to have a word about it? He looked at me and he went, no, mate, no. Thanks. See ya. Bye. Walked up. The guy deserves nothing. Yeah, I, I mean that's you know that's just Mike Ashley all over, isn't it? Um, yeah, and and the sooner he is you know out of the club, the better. And uh, but, the, but, I... but the point, but the point I'm making is the two times he's changed it, it's been handed to him on a plate once by myself, another journalist, uh, and the press officer, etc., uh, uh, etc., et and the other was by presumably Rafa Benitez's people. He has never consciously worked it out he's never thought oh i need to do this i need to do that and for somebody who's a businessman who knows he's on the cusp of losing millions i.e the tv money why would you just sit there and do nothing and that's what he's done for the last nine games and he'll probably now i'm beginning to think do it for the last 10 games and think okay if we get relegated we get relegated and whether that's based on the fact that he's going to sell the club or not sell the club i don't know but he just doesn't do anything that's proactive for that football club. No, he doesn't. Um, Mark uh, says, uh, apart from the Kelly uh, commentary, what are your favourite memories from the 92-93 promotion season, Mick? Uh, the seven against Leicester was good. Um, and the seven against Leicester was good, not just for uh, the fact that they won, because it, it felt a bit sort of, you know, this is how it should be. But I remember the... The Leeser's end was under construction, if you remember. And I think Lindisfarne played on a on a little platform there. And I just looked around the place and I just thought to myself, this club's taking off. You know, this club, you know, I'd only I'd only been there um, a year and a half or whatever, you know, but it was a bit dilapidated, the stadium, as you know. You know, when I first arrived, you know, the, the, the Leeser's end was virtually non-existent. A few porter cabins, etc., the Gallagher was run down. Uh, the East Stand was the East Stand. You know, Melbourne, the Melbourne. Um, but they'd started, they'd started building and started working on the Leesers and Lindisfarne, and it was a real party atmosphere. Uh, and that was that was a, that was a good game. Um, I mean, other the the other one, of course, the the obvious one is Liam O'Brien, because you know, because I mean, to all intents and purposes, they were promoted by you know, October, November, you know, 11 straight wins. But the fact that, that they, they sort of eclipsed it with um, with O'Brien's free kick at Roker, um, you know, they, they were probably the two. Them, the, 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 the O'Brien goal, the Grimsby night, just the whole night, um, and the Leicester game were yeah, real, real special memories. Yeah, real highlights, great stuff. Yeah. Blue Moon Boy says, Hi Mick, do you think the players are giving their all? Or do you think many are disenfranchised? Well, that's an interesting one because I must admit, uh, having seen players not only at Newcastle but at other clubs as well, down tools um, and not play for their manager, I I'm not too sure they're doing that at Newcastle. I'm, I'm not too sure that 
to use another one of these great 21st century cliches, he's lost the dressing room. I'm not too sure he has lost the dressing room. I'm not, I'm not too sure that, you know, players are in revolt. Um, I, I, I just think we're in a malaise. We're not a particularly good side. We're now, as I say, missing the, the, the top three in terms of, of goals. You know, what is it? Only six of the 27, 28 they've now scored uh, haven't had uh, Almir on St. Maximum or Wilson involved in them in some shape or form. You know, so, you know, he's been dealt an absolute huge body blow. But I, they don't give me the impression of, of, of not playing for him. You know, I think some are, some are better than others. Some are more diligent. Some are more, um, some are putting it in a little bit more. But no, I don't, I don't think he's lost the dressing room. I just think at this minute in time, you know, we're not a particularly good team. And as, I, and as I've said many times before, you know, it's, it's players who win games. Players are, are the difference between winning a game and losing a game. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, got a couple of questions on Twitter, so I'll go to them. Grant Thurlaway, he says, what would you say to Steve Bruce if you had two minutes with him? Oh, blimey. Um, I don't know. Uh, uh, I, 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 don't, I, would, I, would, I would probably... I was going to say I would ask him, if, you know, is it a more difficult job than you ever imagined? But... I think we all know the answer to that. I think he would he would unequivocally say, "Yeah, it's been it's been way more difficult than I thought." I, 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 I might I might with hindsight ask him if you had your time again, would you take it? If you had your time again, would you would you would you? Which again, I'm pretty sure he would say yes because he's a Newcastle fan. Um, and and this is the point we've made many times. Um, it, it was impossible for him to say no. You know, as mm. much as he might have been thinking. Um, oh, it's a poison chalice. You know, I've got to work with actually um, that they're not the best squad in the world or whatever. I think he thought they're my club. They're my club. I've I've been here, there, and everywhere. It 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 would, and I think it will probably be his last job. Uh, and he's desperately trying to make it work. Um, but with hindsight, I don't know. He may he may not say. I, I don't think he would. No, I don't think he would. So I don't know. Do you think he's a Newcastle fan? Because I, I mean, I've watched every interview over yeah. the years, and I, I've yeah. always felt I've always felt his dad was a big Newcastle fan. But I think he's very he's very careful not to answer the question. Yeah. I always felt that he was more Man United than Newcastle. I, I, that's always been my philosophy. And I mean, of course, you have an affection. I mean, look, Steve Howie's a perfect example. He's a Sunderland yeah. fan, but yeah. Steve Howie played some of his best football at Newcastle as part of the entertainers team. He's, yeah. he's, he's one of these who supports both teams. Um, yeah. it, it is possible, but I just, I've always felt that there's this, there's always this little thing. It doesn't matter to me whether Bruce is a Newcastle fan, but it bothers me if people feel he is a Newcastle fan when yeah. maybe he isn't. You know what I mean? I, I just don't know. Is it, is it a dream job or is it the dream job, obviously, of his late father um, that yeah. his, his dad would have always wanted him to have that job? I'll give you another, two good examples of that as well. One uh, with regard to professional football and the other one, me. Me. I grew up as a Nottingham Forest fan. We moved to Nottingham when I was 10 years of age, 11 years of age. As soon as I was allowed to go to the matches, I was at the matches, you know. I followed them pre-Clough. Um, and ironically, I, I left to go to London to, to college at the times that they started winning European Cups. But I was a Forest fan, you know. I was on, on the phone with a mate the other day talking about, remember going to Arsenal for an FA Cup tie at Highbury in 19-whatever, blah de blah de blah But, 
but I spent 25 years of my life at St. James's Park and I would defy anybody not to fall in love with Newcastle United and the city of Newcastle. I was on the phone to Jake Burns yesterday from Stiff Little Fingers and he was talking about, he was an Irish boy who went to live in Newcastle, fell in love with the place and we were talking about the bars in Chicago. He now goes to watch Newcastle and now he's desperate for them to stay in the Premier League because he won't see the games otherwise because they won't be shown in America. So he was bitten by the bug. I was bitten by the bug. The more pertinent example of what you're talking about, and I agree with you to a degree, but I don't know because I don't know Steve Bruce, was <laughs> Bobby Charlton. I remember meeting Bobby Charlton and talking to Bobby Charlton about Newcastle. Bobby Charlton clearly had a much greater love for Manchester United. Now, his association with Manchester United is much longer than Steve Bruce's. I mean, you're talking 50 years, 60 years, whatever. But it's the same scenario. And, and yet Jack Charlton always had Newcastle at heart even though he played all those years at Leeds. I'm sure he was, I'm sure he was desperately fond of Leeds as well. Uh, but you're right, absolutely right in what you say. Just because you're brought up and your dad says you're coming to the match with me, if you then spend 20, 30, 40 years of your life at another football club, it is impossible not to become attached to them and probably not to love them more than your first love, so to speak. Yeah, good point. Well made. Uh, we'll give a big shout out to the uh, the sponsors of the show. Uh, as always, Spider VPN, who were with us last month, are still with us this month, sponsoring the StreamYard application. A big shout out to them. Big shout out to Jordy Riffs as well. Premium guitar lessons for beginners and children. Guitar repairs and servicing. Recording studio. Their website's uh, jordyriffs.co.uk and Jordy Riffs official on Facebook. But give them a follow on Instagram. That's what they're really pushing for this month. They'd really like a follow on Instagram. L like to boost their numbers on there and that is at Geordie Riffs also a big shout out to uh, qtechshop.co.uk the makers of pool tables and snooker tables and walls end and uh, they also run our website nufcmatters.com where you can buy all the t-shirts and stuff have a look on there and a big shout out to Jab Signature who uh, do our flyers and posters and if you're a first time visitor to the channel Please subscribe, hit that little uh, link down in the bottom hand corner of the picture, uh, click the like button which is the thumb up button and give it a share as well to all your social media to help us build the community. Plenty of questions coming in. Uh, Michael Held says on Twitter, do you think Bruce will still be here for the Sheffield United match at the end of the season? Um, I think as I've said before Steve, you don't know, you just don't know. Um, having said everything we've said about Mike Ashley, there is absolutely no way you can second-guess him. There's no way you can predict it. What I would say is, um, as I said earlier, I just think we've got to the stage now where it's almost too late. I think it's, you know, as, as, we've, as we've talked about at length, it was this particular weekend or at this stage of the season um, that he brought Rafa in. Um, and it was slightly later that he brought Alan in, uh, who, who were obviously very different uh, entities in terms of replacements for the incumbent manager. You know, in Allen, it was all about, you know, the rah-rah, I mean, you know, fledgling manager, but has that Svengali-like hold over over Tyneside, which you hoped, you hoped would keep them up. It didn't. Rafa was different. I mean, Rafa, as I say, won three of his ten games. So if Rafa, you know, I mean, Rafa, if, if, if whoever comes in now wins three games and draws two, you'd think you've got to stay up. But Rafa went down by two. So, I don't know. The, I think the problem is, not only have you got apathy on on Ashley's part, 
not only have he got a lack of knowledge and a lack of care on his part, I'm not sure who we would get, Steve. Honestly, yeah. I'm not sure who we would attract. We've talked about this before. I know Steven Gerrard's name was mentioned again, but if you remember what I said two months ago or nine games ago, you know, Steven Gerrard is, a, is an outstanding candidate. But Steven, uh, Steven Gerrard will be being told by those at Rangers who fell foul of Mike Ashley in terms of him being around that football club, don't go there. Don't go there. It's, it, it, it's you know, they will not be selling Newcastle to him. So who we'd get, I don't know. Now, the theory was, of course, nine games ago, Graeme Jones was coming in as a ready-made replacement. I, I never, I was never convinced by that. I was never, I was never sure of that. Um, but if Steve Bruce was to go, I think, I think he would probably have to give it to somebody within. And bearing in mind Steve Agnew and Steve Clements, I'm sure will be loyal to Steve Bruce and go with him. Who does that leave? Yeah. It only, it only leaves Graham Jones. Now, again, going back to the, the, the romantic Steve Bruce took the job because they were his club. Is Graham Jones in that same scenario? He's a Geordie. He's, you know, if, if he gets offered the job, he's not going to turn it down. But I just don't think there's a plan. I, honestly, there's never a plan with Mike Ashley. It's all knee jerk. It's all, he just doesn't care enough about the football club to think I need to get rid of Steve Bruce and I'm bringing him in. If any, any owner worth his salt, Steve, for the last two months, would have been scouring the planet, finding a replacement for Steve Bruce. Whether he needed to sack him or not, I'm not saying that he should sack him. What I'm saying is you've always got to give yourself an option. In any business, in any walk of life, you've got to look at the possibilities. If it goes pear-shaped, where do I go? I doubt if he's even battered an eyelid at the prospect of having to bring a new manager in at Newcastle. He'll leave it to somebody else or, as I say, he'll just let it roll. Got to, remember, got to remember as well, it was an embarrassing situation before Brucey came in because it was, you know, 10, 11 people approached who all said no. So it's not it's not the uh, it's not the golden um, egg. It's more like the poison chalice for for anybody looking along here. And it's we end up with people who probably just want to pay day for getting sacked. Exactly. And, and that has been the scenario for, for decades now. Well, not decades, but years now. You know, who, who who's going to take it? And as, as I think I said before. You know, once upon a time, we used to joke about the poison chalice, but it very definitely is these days. And until he leaves, until the owner leaves, and then that football football club goes back to what it should be, potentially a huge football club with a fantastic fan base and a job that people should die for as manager. Um, uh, you know, a, 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 a fledgling manager or even an established manager should fall over themselves to get to St. James's Park and sit in that manager's office. At the minute, you wouldn't touch it with a barge pole while he's there. No, definitely not. Plenty of uh, questions coming in. Let's take Tom's now. Mick, do you think Joe Linton needs someone in to train him uh, how to score goals? Somebody like the likes of Shearer. We've had this on the show before, but I don't, yeah. think we've ever, I don't think we've asked you this one. I mean, would somebody like Alan Shearer going in and, and telling Joe Linton, you know, well, you've got to hit the ball through those two white sticks with a bar over the top. Would that help? I think I did, I did an interview about... <laughs> Oh, well, he, he can't have been there long. I think it was probably the start of last season. And I said, get I said, get, get Joel Linton in Shearer's back garden and, and get a couple of trees as posts and just get Shearer chipping chip the ball in 
and telling him how to head a ball into the back of the net between the trees. You know, you know, just do something like that. And, and you know, you know what Alan's like. Alan's Alan's got Newcastle at heart. I'm sure he would. Um, I'm sure he's got better things to do, but I, I don't think he would be averse. But you know what I mean. I mean, I mean, we we we, we are in the realms of how ludicrous this all is. That we are talking about coaching or getting somebody in to teach somebody who costs £40 million how to put the ball between two white sticks. You know, how to how to play the game of football. We've paid £40 million for him. You know, if we plucked a guy from obscurity, if there was a guy who we picked up from Blue Star, or if there was a guy we picked up from North Shields, and we thought, oh, he's got promise, get Shearer to coach him. No, we've bought somebody for £40 million. And we want Alan Shearer to coach him out ahead of ball or, or, or put a ball in the back of the net. Stupid. Yeah, it is crazy. Uh, Stu says, the size of our fan base, I am amazed we haven't been able to pull all together and force Ashley out. Uh, how come we have failed to get this man out, Mick? I mean, it's uh, not easy, is it? Uh, unless you've got 150 million plus uh, to buy the club and then the other 150 million to pay the debt back, then um, I'd say it's fairly impossible for fan power to work these days. Well, what, what, I mean, what's the old saying, Steve? Uh, possession is nine-tenths of the law or whatever it is. I, you know, I'm not au fait on these things. But essentially, if, if, if you're in situ, you can't, you know, you're not going to, no one's going to get you out unless you either want to leave or, I, I don't know, there, there's some legal uh, situation whereby you're ousted. Essentially, it's your club. I mean, that that's it. You know, that, that, uh, I mean, at the time, you know, it, it's sounds... Uh, it sounds terrible, but I remember when, you know, when Sir John sold the club to, to, to Ashley, you know, we genuinely, genuinely thought we're being sold to somebody who has got more money, much, much more money um, than, than Sir John and the Shepherds. Um, and, and they, you know, and the, and the bar had been raised to such a degree, you know, the, the Glazers, what's happening at Liverpool, you know, Abramovich at Chelsea. You know, we had millionaires and they had billionaires and we couldn't compete with the billionaires. We needed a billionaire. Now, this guy became available. He had sports shops. He liked football. You're thinking, perfect. You know, we've not got a Russian oligarch. We've not got uh, a, a particularly wealthy family from America who've got the Boston Red Sox and don't really know football. We've got somebody who knows football. He then arrives... And he's out on the town. He's drinking with the fans. He's got a black and white scarf on. You're thinking, dear me, this is this is perfection. And then it dawns on you that the guy uh, is clearly not all we think he is. He falls out of love with it. He then gets vindictive, seemingly. Um, um, and he stops loving the football club or even liking the football club. And you can't get him out. You cannot. You can't get him out. You know, he's he's there. And and and. You know, which is why the theories um, uh, abound and have abounded for the last 12 years or so, that he's just being vindictive. He's just digging his heels in um, and he's going to stick around until somebody makes him an offer um, and, and makes it worth his while. But it's it's no really, it's no skin off. I mean, we did think, didn't we, that, you know, when, when COVID and the financial crisis kicked in, he might just have to sell it. But it does. It seems like that that ship sailed as well. That he he, he financially doesn't have to get rid of the club, um, and he'll wait and wait and wait until he gets a decent offer, 
and then he'll leave. And in the meantime, we're stuck with him. And he just will not and does not care what happens to Newcastle United. No, he doesn't. Got to ask you about the um, the supporters stuff. I mean, they're talking about the season getting pushed back uh, by a week or so. And, um, you know, that's going to allow, you know, 10,000 supporters potentially in to watch Newcastle play Sheffield United. For me, Mick, I'm against it. Um, I don't think it's a good idea. I think um, there's enough division among supporters as there is before you know people start falling out over who's going to be allowed to go. I also think it's a bit unfair when the rest of the season is being played behind closed doors that suddenly we have important games which could see Newcastle. Of course, you know it could go to the wire. Um, you know, suddenly have an advantage or a disadvantage because you know if we have Sheffield United fans in against Sheffield United, then there's going to be fans in at Fulham. And if we need, you know, you need to pick up points. I hate to say it, but I just don't agree with it. I'm not, I'm not sure what your take is on it, but um, I understand we have to have fans in at some point. But I'd rather be all or nothing. Well, I think my take is in terms of the bigger picture, Steve. And, and I, I think I said this last time I was on, or the time before that. I have no. I have no regard whatsoever for what's happening at football in football at the moment. I don't believe what's happening is right. I don't believe uh, uh, that it's proper football, for want of a better phrase. I think players are going through the motion. I think I think that the authorities are going through the motion. I think they're just getting a season played. I think the players hate it. I think supporters have fallen out of love with football. I think the whole thing is an absolute farce. I think it's an absolute farce. I would, initially because of COVID and because of the threat of COVID, uh, I think I just would have stopped football full stop. I can see why it's going ahead in the same way that, that other sports are going ahead. Um, but I just I just, I, I just don't agree with it full stop. I think, I think we need to sort of draw a line under it. And for then, as you say, for them to then try and cosily and gradually introduce fans back into it, I, I don't get it. I just don't get it. I, you know, I, I, you know, if, if June the twenty-first is to be D-Day, if June the twenty-first is to be, God willing, some sort of return to normality, then I would just let this season run. I would let Manchester City be champions. I would let whoever wins the FA Cup. I mean, the National League are basically declaring the season null and void it's been a farce at their level um you know you know Sunderland are in a cup final today what sort of a cup final is that you know you know it's it, it is it's it's plastic football it's sanitized football it's not proper football it's well football. it's a farce yesterday wasn't it Salford 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 actually played last year's final with against yeah. Portsmouth the won it on penalties and the, the, the they get to keep the trophy for one night <laughs> And, and therein, therein is another example. It's absolutely crackers, which is why, you know, if Newcastle get relegated in the same way that I've said previously, if Manchester City win a title or whoever wins the title, it won't feel like a title. It won't feel like winning a championship. But on the other side of the coin, if you get relegated, you're going to get properly relegated. And in a year's time, we might be back to some level of normality and Newcastle are playing championship football because in, in the season that was 2021, where results were crazy, um, performances were ludicrous, there were no fans in the ground. So, you know, you look at you look at the tail end of the season and you look at the fact that Fulham have got some very winnable games at home. 
And you think, you know, Fulham might just stay up because of the games they have at home. Newcastle, you know, without fans at St James's, it's not the same argument. So it's, I, I, I really, I really would not, would not hold any stall by anything that happens this season. Unless, of course, Newcastle get relegated. And then you'll say, well, what was the point? What was the point? Yeah, Matthew, uh, I do wish them luck at Wembley today. Mick said it, it's, you know, it, it's a trophy which isn't worth crowing about, to be honest. But look, Sunderland seem to be on on the up. They seem to be on the uh, the ascendancy and uh, the, the, the appointment of this new manager seems to have got them flying. I'm not that uh, I'm not that much of a, a Mackham uh, dislike, I shall we say, no, not to wish no. you all the best. So good luck, Matthew. Um, just a pity that your, your fans can't be down there to see it. And, uh, you know, one of those things, um, you know, Sunderland need to get out of that division. Uh, the sooner the better. I suppose, and let's just hope Newcastle aren't playing them next season. Uh, a lot somebody, of people ask. Just on yeah, that, somebody, somebody sent me a text in the in the in the week saying, "Do you think there might be a derby next season?" And I said, very cryptically, "To the best of my knowledge, I don't think you can be relegated two tiers, but I'll check it." The person obviously didn't realise there was an irony in there, and he went, "No, I was talking about Sunderland." Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I said, yeah. I, I, I texted him, I said, I was being facetious. But you're right, but you're right, you know, you know, in, in, in the whole of this pandemic, the clubs that your heart goes out to, most of all, are the clubs with the fan base, the clubs with the diehard fans, and whether we like it or not, they are a fantastically supported football club who have got a data... I mean, imagine if Newcastle were at Wembley today, Steve. I know. You know, it would, it would feel terrible, you know? Uh, because at the end of the day, the games have been played. They've won the way through. Uh, all right, the games might have been of a standard that we wouldn't normally expect. But they're at Wembley, and there's no one there. Um, and they are proper. They are proper football fans. Yes, yeah, and uh, we'll see how that goes this afternoon. Gives us something to watch. Uh, John, we'll come to the Brighton game uh, at the end. Uh, I do want to talk a little bit about Chris Wilder. Darren Agnew says, would anyone take Wilder? think he would do a decent job of the players. This went viral, as you'll have seen on social media. A lot of people arguing, Mick, as people tend to do on Twitter, um, you know, as to whether Chris Wilder would be a good appointment at Newcastle or not. Um, what's your thoughts on that? I mean, is that somebody you think would do well at Newcastle? I remember a conversation with, with Freddie Shepherd years ago, um, Steve, about managers of, of Newcastle United and who makes a good manager and who doesn't make a good manager. And I think at that point, we'd gone down all the roads. We'd gone down the established manager. We'd gone down the Geordie manager. We'd gone down the hardworking manager. We'd gone down the road of the manager who proved his pedigree in, in the lower leagues, etc., etc. There isn't a magic formula. There is just not a magic formula. You know, you know Kevin did great. But then Ke Kenny came in. Kenny came in as almost a surefire certainty. You know, he just managed the Premiership winners. He was a proven player, proven manager. You know, he got on well with 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 Kevin. Uh, he had Terry Mack there, who he knew from Liverpool. You know, Kenny didn't work. Rude Hullet comes in. You know, the superstar manager. You know, the, the superstar player that failed. Graham Souness came in fantastic player still for me the best pundit on the TV if I watch the television I watch it for Graham Souness because he talks so much sense Souness couldn't make it work you know 
you know, ironically, the ones who've made it work, you know, most, you know, Raph is an established coach, although, you know, didn't set the world like Chrissy Hewton, you know, established coach. So maybe, maybe we need to go down the line of the coach rather than the, the name and the manager, etc. Um, and Chris Wilder is probably a decent, a decent um, coach on on the training field. What you then have to factor in, Steve, is that Chris Wilder, and this is no criticism of, of Chris Wilder in the slightest, has never worked at a club the size of Newcastle United. Somewhere down the line, you have to have um, the ability to be thick-skinned enough and resolute enough to work at a club the size of Newcastle United with its fan base, with its pressure, and dare I say it at this minute in time, its madcap owner. So now whether Chris Wilder would take it or not, I suspect he probably would because, you know, with the best will in the world, Newcastle are a huge club for somebody like Chris Wilder. But whether he'd make it work or not, Steve, I gave up years ago trying to work out what makes a good manager at Newcastle. You know, I, I, I gave up years ago wondering who would be the guy who brought this club some success. Um, Wilder, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. It's a, it's an easy, it's an easy, easy story to write, Steve. It's an easy conversation to have. Guy gets replaced. I mean, the, the counter to that is, so you're on the cusp of getting relegated. The guy you appoint as your new manager is somebody who has already been relegated, virtually. How does that make sense? Yeah, crazy. Uh, Matthew's back on the Sunderland fan. He says, although I'm a Mackham, I hope in 10 years' time, Sunderland and Newcastle are top off of the Premier League battle for, battling for Champions League, which is where we should be. Good luck, lads. Thanks, Matthew. Honestly, it's nice to have... Uh, you know, people from 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 your biggest rivals, you know, watching the show for starters. But it's also yeah. nice that you you know you've got a sensible opinion, and that's the same as me, mate. As long as Sunderland, uh, you know, a point below Newcastle, I'm always happy. Um, I'd rather watch cricket than Sunderland, says David Reid. Though uh, John Askew agrees with me. He says fans shouldn't be allowed in this season. Fulham will have an unfair advantage in a potentially crucial game against us. How's that right? Uh, Paul Gibson, uh, he says, donkey, FA trophy stuff, that awful to hear about boxing legend Marvin Hagler, one of the all-time yeah. greats in the 80s. Yeah, I mean, I'm gutted, Mick, because as you know, I mean, you've worked, you did the AJ show for me in Newcastle yeah. um, a few years back now, but I mean, you, you, you're you a boxing fan like myself, and that's the one that got away from me. I've done I've done three of the fab four. I was in talks to bring Hagler to Newcastle um, before yeah. COVID. Sadly, just wasn't meant to be, and a shock as well, 66, but what a legend. Absolutely. I mean, you, you think about. I mean, I always, I always used to say uh, Leonard was the greatest boxer, uh, or the greatest entertainer. You know, but that division at that time, you know, with the Haglers, with the Leonards. I mean, it was it was phenomenal. And, and you're right. I mean, I, when I was when I worked in London, I did I did quite a bit of boxing, and I I, I remember famously going to the London Arena, the Docklands Arena, um, when it was it was just opening up, uh, and Frank Warren's network, I think, had put a video out of the of the great heavyweights, and Foreman was there, Ali was there, uh, Norton was there, and Frazier were there. So the four of them were there, and and I went down to interview them. Um, and I always remember I got to speak to Frazier, got to speak to Norton, and to and to Foreman. But we'd been forewarned beforehand: don't try and get near Ali, you know. And to be fair, bless him, he was in the corner and he wasn't in the best state. I mean, we're talking about late 80s, uh, maybe 90. And I remember taking two steps towards him and these bouncers stood up 
and you know so that was the closest I got to Ali but um, yeah I, I love I love a bit of boxing uh, and 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 Hagler you know was was one of the the, the, the the greats real real greats you know those as I say those 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 fights in there what would they have been mid 80s you know absolutely fantastic amazing amazing stuff and if you haven't seen them uh, you, you can get them they're widely available on YouTube uh, if you're looking for something to kill a, a Sunday afternoon with honestly give them a watch the the Hagler Hearns fights the Leonard fights uh, yeah. well well worth a watch and uh the games are coming thick and fast. Brighton are obviously playing today, um, but that, of course, is our next game. And, you know, another six-pointer. Uh, they're coming thick and fast, Mick. Um, you know, what do you expect to see from that game from Newcastle? More of the same, uh, going in quite defensive, or do, do you expect them to uh, to unleash the shackles and try and go for it? What do you think? Well, I don't think they'll do that. I, I, just, I just don't think they'll do that. Um... Brighton are a strange one, and I remember being on here nine games ago when I saw. Well, I think we said at the time it was pretty much just down to, to Newcastle and Fulham, um, but obviously Brighton got dragged into it. Fleetingly, Burnley got dragged into it, um, but I think now, you know, if you look at the table, I think it's impossible to say that it's not between those three. So it's not between Brighton, Newcastle, and Fulham. Fulham have got a bit of momentum. Fulham's home fixtures, I think it's it's Wolves, uh, Burnley, and then obviously Newcastle. It gives them gives them a real chance. Um, Newcastle need to pick up points from. I mean, they've got a game in hand for starters on Fulham, but Brighton are the interesting ones because every time I see Brighton, I think what a good team, but they can't put the ball in the back of the net. Now, if that changes, Newcastle are in serious serious problems. Fulham, likewise, are the lowest scorers of all of those down there. But having conceded three yesterday to Manchester City, their goal difference has got a bit uh, flaky. Mm-hmm. You know, Newcastle's goal difference was always a worry to me. I think it's minus 17. Three goals against Fulham yesterday edged them a bit closer. But it is so tight. It is so tight. I, I, I absolutely am 100% convinced if it doesn't come down to Sheffield United and Fulham, it could well come down to Fulham on the final day, which is why, as you rightly say, if crowds are in, I know it's only 10,000 maybe, but if we play on that final Sunday of the season at Craven Cottage and there are 10,000 in there, and I haven't heard, I don't know whether that 10,000 includes travelling fans, because, mm. you know, you'd have to, wouldn't you? I don't it know. Can't, well, it you can't. Exactly, it? you can't. You can't, even if it's 1,500. You can't have fifteen hundred on a train coming down from the northeast. So you have to give it. You know, you have to say that the ten thousand, if there are ten thousand, are all from southwest London. Now that gives Fulham a huge advantage in a fixture, which is the difference between four hundred million and and not four hundred million, regardless of the of the footballing and 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 the relegation issue. So I just can't see any way that it won't come down. To the final game of the season because three points which is up for grabs that afternoon is i'm sure will be within the the parameters of brighton newcastle and fulham yeah it's going to be a it's going to be a tough watch again i think but uh, a lot of people thinking that it's almost deliberate going for these draws you know and like another another six draws and we'll be safe that seems to be the well, philosophy we, 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 
Which is why, and I hate to say it because I've got so much stick about saying that the West Brom game was a terrible game, but it was a decent point. And people say, no, you've got to go there and win. You've got, you've got, no, it's not a switch, Steve. You can't turn it on and off. You can't be rubbish for 30 odd games and then say, all right, we're going to be decent now. You know, you've gone to Sheffield United and lost. So mm. why do you think you're going to go to West Bromwich Albion, who were a much better team, and win? How does that work? That is completely illogical. You know, a point at West Brom, yes, it wasn't pretty. Yes, you should win. Yes, you want to win. But they didn't win. But they got a point. They got a point. Again, Aston Villa. The way Aston Villa are at the minute, maybe a point's decent. I don't know. I don't know. We'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, I watched Leeds-Chelsea and um, it was a pretty good game for a nil-nil draw and Leeds look as if they could really give Fulham a game as well. So, um, yeah. you know, it, 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 you can. the one thing with relegation seasons, um, you can't predict it, can you? Because no. people are already saying, well, we've got to play a Man City, but, you know, <laughs> you just don't know. Look look what Fulham did. You know, Fulham got, got whopped against Man City, but Newcastle could easily go there and hold them to a nil-nil draw. You just you just don't know. You can't predict it. It's uh, If your I'm luck's gonna... in, really. I've got a piece of paper here and it's got two words on it. Winnable and a huge question mark and predictable and a huge question mark. Never mind these people saying Villa was a winnable game and, and, and West Brom was a winnable game. You can't say that. You cannot even say they're predictable. They're not predictable, you know? So it's lap of the gods time. It really is lap of the gods time. If you're if you if you're a betting man, Mick, would you say that um, you would you say the takeover is going to go through because there's been little bits and bobs going on about that, and you know it, it seems as if it's it seems as if it's all tied up in legals. We had you know the the word that the arbitration panel's now been selected, and uh, you know there's there's lots of talk of you know Middle Eastern politics, which none of us really understand. We all just want to know whether the football team can be taken over. But do you think this is going to go through, Mick? It seems to have dragged on so long now that. Um, it, it seems a possibility. I, I really don't know. But what I would say, Steve, is at this minute in time, if I was Steve Bruce or if I was anybody associated with the footballing side of things at Newcastle, I wouldn't want to know about takeovers. I, I mean, the takeover, if it went through in a week's time, if it went through in 10 days' time, if it went through in two weeks' time, it wouldn't make a blind bit of difference to whether we're playing championship football next season or Premier League football next season. So I think what we need to do is concentrate, keep our eyes on the ball. You know, what's happening behind the scenes, let it happen behind the scenes. It's why I got really, really annoyed. And there were a couple of people on your... And it is a, it's great what you do with NUSC Matters. But I had to I had to pull up and I had to take exception to Ian Meehan, who I like. You know, I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a socialist, I'm a Labour voter. But the way that people, including him, joked about the mole at the, at the training ground. I was there for years and years and years at Newcastle. I used to hate the fact that somebody at that training ground was snitching, that somebody was leaking. Somebody was basically undermining Newcastle United Football Club, whether they were giving it to a journalist or whatever they were doing. I didn't like it and I don't like it. And, and I was thinking to myself, I was watching Ian one of the nights that he was on, and I was thinking... If the Constituent Labour Party on Tyneside met one night and they said, right, these are the, we need to talk about policy on this, we need to talk to, about policy on that. If there was someone in that room giving, you know, Labour, Labour policy and Labour guidelines and, 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 and ideas to the Conservatives, you know, you would, be, you would be devastated. In the same way that anybody who's got any sort of business where somebody at their business 
is going away and saying, oh, do you know what it is? We're going to introduce uh, a 20% off kebabs next week. Uh, and, and, and your nearest rival says, right, we're going to, we're, we'll offer 25% off. And someone will say, where did they get that? You know, I, I hate it. I, yeah. I, just, I do not like it. And I don't like the way, because it's all part of the Newcastle United Steve Bruce thing, oh, God, he's more worried about a mole. He should be worried about a mole. And I, and I have this, all the sympathy in the world, because I had all the sympathy in the world for every manager that this has gone on with. It went on with Pardew. It went on with, it went on with Rafa. You know, there's somebody at that football club who is telling tales. And, and I tell you what, is earning money. So somebody's taking a salary from Newcastle United and picking up a few quid from a newspaper who is taking calls from them and spreading and also causing a distraction. We need to concentrate on staying in the Premier League. Now, people might laugh at the mole. They might laugh at the fact that a newspaper's got a story that, that, that the club didn't want out. No wonder they didn't want it out because everybody's just talking about and ridiculing Newcastle. Whoever this mole is, I would love, I would love to find out who it is because he's been a disgrace or she's been a disgrace. We don't know what gender, we don't know who they are. For the last 10, however many years, it needs nipping in the bud and people should stop laughing about it because it's serious business. Yeah, good point. End of, well, end, good. End of rant. Good rant, mate. Good rant. Good. Yeah, well, well said. Uh, the clock's beating us. It's treason, says Geordie Jedi. I think Mick would agree with you wholeheartedly yeah, on absolutely. that. Uh, join me tomorrow night. Uh, two shows tomorrow night, of course. Uh, six till seven, the five-minute rant, which is your opportunity to come on screen and tell us what you think about Newcastle United and what's going on at the club and what's happened over the last seven days. And uh, that is swiftly followed uh, at 7.30 by Ladies' Night when I'm joined by a panel of Newcastle United fans uh, giving their views and opinions. And uh, there will be plenty to talk about, as always. Mick, hope to get you back on in the next couple of weeks again. Uh, yeah, lots of people to. love having you on. Be great to have you on, mate. Yeah, happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. You have a great time, Mick, Thank and uh, look, look forward to speaking to you then. Take care, pal. See you later. Bye-bye.